Hello and welcome back to Geeking with Destination Venus. How have you been? Um, sorry about last week. I was in Cornwall um, at the G7 Summit. Actually, that's not true. I was in Cornwall and I was in the proximity of the G7 Summit, which made everything massively inconvenient. I did, however, get to indulge my aircraft geekiness because we were staying not terribly far from RNAS called Rose, which is the headquarters of the Royal Navy's aircraft thing. And so I got to see many, many Navy helicopters, no jets, because they're all on board. The very few that the Navy has are all on board uh, HMS Queen Elizabeth right now doing a global tour for reasons. Uh, so anyway, yes, back. We've got a mixed show for you tonight. Uh, no interviews. I did try and get an interview lined up. Um, hopefully we'll have that for you next week. But I'm not going to tell you anything about it because I want to keep it as a surprise because I'm a tinker like that. So what have we got? Well, first of all, I think perhaps I should address, I was going to say the elephant in the room, but um, it's not really an elephant. I, this is an all ages show. So I am going to be very coy here. But I do think I should at least mention the thing that's been blowing up on social media uh, all week, really. And, uh, because it's, it's interesting, not because the way the media picked it up and ran with it. It's a, a, a salacious story that involves lots of um, giggling and stuff and... You know, the media does love a story like that. No, it's actually the, the reason the story came about that I find interesting. Uh, as I say, I'm going to have to be very coy here. If you don't understand what the heck I'm talking about, good. That means I'm not corrupting your mind. If you do understand what I'm talking about as I go through this, then I guess you're a, an adult and you know about these things. So... How do I put this? Uh, this is going to be really hard. Um, okay, so one of the showrunners of the R-rated, which is the US equivalent of 18-rated, um, Harley Quinn animated series, told a story uh, about how they had intended to have Batman and Catwoman doing a certain thing that grown-ups like to do and that the studio had said no 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 can't do that uh it was of a sexual nature and hollywood reporter reported it as saying that batman wasn't allowed to go downtown and um i guess i'm gonna leave that there uh there'll be a link to the hollywood reporter um, article in the show notes if you want to get all the details but I'm sure your imagination is now sorting this out in your head for you um, now obviously that's not really that surprising the, the sexuality and sexual conduct of the big three superheroes at DC is open for discussion um, it's Pride Month. I will use this opportunity to underline the fact that Wonder Woman 
is canonically by. Uh, but whilst we may see Batman and Catwoman clearly being a couple, while we may see uh, Diana Prince and Steve Trevor clearly being a couple, uh, and indeed Diana and women clearly being couples, while we may see Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy clearly being a couple, um, Apollo and the Midnight are clearly a couple. What we don't get is graphic depictions of their bed romantics because it's not usually relevant to the story, to be honest. And, you know, that's just not what they're about. So not that surprising um, that a particular sexual act, any sexual act really, was kind of vetoed on this animated series. It is entirely unsurprising, really. What was surprising to me, and what set social media aflame, was the reason given for the veto. Partly, it was, look, dudes, we make toys using these characters, which we want to sell to, you know, preteen kids. We don't want the image of Batman performing any kind of sexual act to be in the parent's mind when they're thinking about buying their child a superhero toy, because if it is, we think we might sell fewer toys. And I hate to break this to you, but that's where the money's coming from. Now, I actually don't like that reason, but I understand it. The other reason given, though, was that Heroes don't do that. Now, that really set Twitter off. The The response was hilarious and ribald, and I cannot tell you how much fun some of my friends have had with this. My problem really here is that it has sort of made the genre of superheroes look sillier than it normally does. And I do think that's a problem. And at some point, we are going to have to address the way superheroes are marketed by the big two. Because you actually can't have it both ways. If you want to say that Batman and Wonder Woman and Catwoman are children's characters, then you you can't also say that, okay, we're going to have this dark, gritty, charged storyline in Batman now, and, you know, we're going to have Batman and Catwoman making out on rooftops and stuff, which they have done in the comics. Um, there's a line in one of the early uh, Rebirth comics uh, referring, uh, Bruce Wayne is is sort of having a little inner monologue and he talks about meeting up with Catwoman and says, you know, mostly the costumes stay on. And if you're going to say that this is a children's character, you can't have that storyline. If you're going to have that storyline, you can't then say, well, this is a children's character and you know, there can't be adult stuff going on. Now, I think there's a line that you can draw so that you could have a kid's version of Batman as an adult version of Batman. And I don't see why that's a problem. Clearly, somebody at DC does. And 
what can, what can I tell you? That's a thing they're going to have to address because amusing as this incident was and, you know, I, much fun has been had by all. It, it really is a thing that shouldn't happen. It's a discussion we shouldn't need to have. If if this was a non-comic book character, I don't think there would have been the issue. So I think comics do need to take a bit of a look at themselves. And the big studios who are trying really hard to be all things to all people possibly need to have a think about what it is they want to do with their characters. If you have any thoughts on that, or indeed any particularly racy jokes you might want to tell about this whole situation, please do get in touch. Info at destinationvenus.co.uk. And as I say, you can find a link to the Hollywood Reporter article. There were other articles. I mean, the Daily Mail picked this up, but there's no way I'm sharing the Daily Mail. Um, Links to all of that in the show notes. Uh, So go and take a look if you have an interest. So moving on, what else has been going on in the world of geek while I've been away? Well, I suppose the most notable thing on screen, at least, was the release of the Loki series over on Disney+. Plus. But that's all I can say about that, because I've been away and I haven't seen it yet. So um, I hear it's good. There could well be a full review episode of that and the other Disney Plus shows, which we haven't really talked about in depth uh, as soon as Loki's over. Uh, I'm really, really hoping that by then I'll be able to get Steve back and we can have a proper geeky chat about stuff because it's been a while. So, Steve, if you're listening, pencil me in your diary. Ah, Right. Okay. some less than good news now as we segue into... I do love that jingle. I really do. But yeah, unfortunately, the science news in the world of geek this week is not that great. You will, I am sure, if you've got any interest in space or astronomy, have heard of the Hubble Space Telescope. It is one of the most impressive astronomical instruments ever built. Uh, Been in orbit around the Earth now for a very long time. It was actually launched in 1990. Initially, they launched it with a dodgy mirror that meant it wasn't very good, but they managed to do a fix. And so, yay. And for the last 30-odd years, Hubble has just sent back astonishing image after astonishing image after astonishing image of the universe at large. Just even if the scientific benefits of the information that Hubble has gathered in the last three decades was not so important, and it really is, Hubble has led to several breakthroughs in cosmology. Just the beauty of the images the instrument has captured would have justified, in my mind, its existence. It is old. 30 years is very old for a thing to be floating around in space. Space is a hideously hostile environment. It's ridiculously radioactive. Um, It's not nearly as empty as you think. And the relative speeds of even objects as small as a 
Pinhead, when they're travelling at sufficient speed, can do astonishing damage when they hit you. Um, so, you know, as I say, 30 years, a very long time for something to last. And since the demise of the shuttle fleet, uh, which again is, you know, well over a decade ago now, there is no capacity, uh, no, no capability even, for humans to go out and do repairs. There have been repair missions to Hubble and servicing missions to Hubble, but we don't have anything that can get people out there anymore to do it. And there's no prospect of us having a ship that can do that in the near future. So if Hubble breaks, it's broken and we can't fix it. And reports are coming in. And I'm recording this on Thursday, the 17th of June, the day it goes out initially. Because um, I'm, of course I'm recording late. Of course I am. I was away last week. So this really is breaking. And it seems that they've encountered some computer difficulties. Um, the observatory has been in idle mode uh, since Sunday um, when a computer shut down automatically, probably as a result of a faulty memory board. Now, just to again, sort of to reiterate how astonishing it is that anything we have in space for a long time worked, Hubble was launched in 1990. The computer that's failed is from the 1980s because you only ever fly tested hardware in space. So the computer that is an issue here was probably designed around about 1985. Might even be a little bit older than that. Now, I had a computer in 1985. It was an Auric Um I don't know what's happened to it. I really hope nobody threw it away. But my point is, if I were to find my Auric Atmos and fire it up, I would not be at all surprised to find it didn't work. Because it's 35 years old. And it's just... Have you got a computer that's 35 years old? I bet you haven't. I just bought a new laptop because my previous laptop was four years old and was already unable to cope with the updates. So, you know, it's not surprising that old kit fails. Um, flight controllers are hard at work. Uh, as, as I speak uh, over at the Goddard Space Flight Center in Maryland, uh, trying to get the computer restarted. Um, they tried on Monday this week, um, and that caused Hubble to shut down again. They're trying to fire up a backup memory board, and if they can get that going, that might fix the problem, at least for the short term. Um, for now, everything's in safe mode. Uh, the cameras are locked. And we'll have to keep our fingers crossed. It's been over a decade since this instrument was last serviced. Uh, it was last serviced by one of the very last shuttle missions in 2009. We might have to say farewell. I hope we don't. I hope we can keep Hubble going a little bit longer. 
Um, Hubble's replacement, the James Webb Space Telescope, is not active yet. Um, it's It's been behind schedule for a while. COVID didn't help. It's not going to be launched even until at the earliest later this year. So I really hope we can keep Hubble going for a bit. But we'll see. We'll see. Fingers crossed, folks. Um, Hubble has been an amazing asset for a very long time. And I really do wish the folks at the Goddard Space Flight Center all the best in fixing their machine. So staying in space, but moving on to something perhaps a little more positive. We do have good news coming out of NASA about Venus. Now, Earth's evil twin has um, been in the news a few times in the last year or so. Um, there is still the possibility that phosphine has been discovered in the upper atmosphere, which could indicate uh, some kind of bacterial life living up there. Uh, the initial study was kind of criticised and um, other uh, observatories were unable to replicate the data. But subsequently, not only has there been some more support for the hypothesis that they have found phosphine, um, it was actually a researcher from the University of Cardiff found this, so it's a good British story. They've also looked back at some data from earlier flyby missions in the 70s, and they think they might have found phosphine there as well. They didn't find it initially because nobody was looking for it. So that story is ongoing, and I'm not quite sure where we are with it. It's still very exciting, but that's not what I want to talk to you about now. Um, this was actually announced at the beginning of this month, but we haven't talked about it on here. So now's as good a time as any to bring it to your attention. There are, in fact, two missions that NASA is sending to Venus, uh, Da Vinci Plus and Veritas. And they're important because they're intended to investigate how Venus became the hell-like inferno that it currently is. Venus is closer to the Sun than Earth, but should not be as hot as it is. The reason Venus is as hot as it is, is the atmosphere. It was, in fact, studies of the Venusian atmosphere that first alerted um, atmospheric scientists on Earth to the possibility that too much of gases like um, carbon dioxide and methane in our own atmosphere could cause the planet to heat. So, you know, planetary science is useful for our continued survival down on Earth. And so, yeah, these two missions, Da Vinci Plus and Veritas, are aimed at figuring out why Venus went the way it went, why Earth went the way it went, how come, given how similar the two planets are, Earth is capable of supporting life, and why Venus isn't. Uh, and that, you know, could seriously help us. Now, sending anything to the surface of Venus, or even into the atmosphere of Venus, is a challenge. The Russians have done it once, back in the days when they were the Soviets. Um, I think their their Venera probe lasted, it was at best a few minutes 
before the combination of intense heat. It's actually hot enough to melt lead on the surface of Venus. And the ridiculously corrosive atmosphere, uh, it has sulfuric acid rain, for goodness sake, uh, just killed the craft. Effectively, it melted. So it's not an easy thing. But uh, NASA's announcement at a press conference at the beginning of this month tells us that they, they've got the thing worked out. Uh, they worked out ways of shielding their equipment uh, as it makes its way through the Venusian atmosphere. Uh, and they're also using, that's the Da Vinci Plus probe that's going to go down and give measurements of the atmosphere. Um, the Veritas mission is orbital and will study the surface of Venus to figure out its history. It'll use radar to map the surface, uh, make some 3D maps, look for plate tectonics, um, whether there's any kind of volcanic activity going on. Um, neither of these missions will touch down. Well, I mean, Da Vinci Plus will probably hit the surface, but it won't be functioning when it does. But they will provide data that will be useful to a future landing mission. That presumably would be a robotic landing. I, I, I don't think anyone's insane enough yet to send actual humans to, to, to Venus. But, you know, it's a stepping stone. Uh, ESA, uh, the European Space Agency, is also working on a, a Venus orbiter called Envision. Um, it may or may not launch. Um, it hasn't been greenlit, but that we are told that 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 green light could come very soon. Quite when everything's going to launch is an open question at the moment. Um, we're not going to see anything launch um, before 2028, which is actually not that long away in space terms. It's probably going to be the 2030s before anything launches. And then, of course, it's got to get there. It'll be the late 2030s, I think, before we have any real information. But um, science is slow, dude. Science is slow. But this is really exciting. Anything that helps us understand the way the solar system works is incredibly useful. So good on you, NASA. Uh, I hope that ESA uh, will also have something in orbit around uh, our evil twin in the next decade or so. That would be great if that could be organised. And uh, we'll leave it there, shall we, with the science? And let's, let's end on a high note. And moving on. It's time now to have a bit of a chat about comics. And in view of the fact that it is still June, which means it's still Pride Month, we're going to do a kind of extended comics of the week this week. And we're going to start with some independent comics that are either by uh, LGBTQIA plus creators or feature characters from that community. Because representation is important, folks. And there is some just ridiculously good stuff out there. Um, I will just throw in um, the big names. Um, DC have just last week released DC Pride which is uh, a card stock bound, uh, square bound anthology of stories featuring the LGBTQIA plus characters from 
the DC Universe. Uh, and of course, I think I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, at the beginning of Pride Month, uh, there is the stunning anthology Love is Love, which makes me cry every time I read it. But I'm, I'm not going to talk about those because everybody knows about them now. And frankly, DC does not need my help with its marketing. So I want to talk about stuff you might not have come across. And I'm going to start with um, a quick and easy guide to queer and trans identities. This is something that I got into stock a couple of years ago now. Um, and it's... It's really. I, I sold so many copies of this at Pride a couple of years ago. A couple of cartoonists, uh, Mady G and J.R. Zuckerberg, basically walk the reader through the basics of the LGBTQIA plus world. Uh, they look at things like sexuality, gender identity, coming out, navigating relationships, and, you know, the... Helping people who perhaps want to do the right thing but don't know about it, just you know, get the right pronouns and, and the right names for things and which words are offensive and which words are. And for people from outside the community, that can be daunting, a bit of a minefield. There are words that people aren't sure. You know, can I say that? Can I refer to somebody as this or that? And it's just, you know. A really friendly, non-judgmental, and quite entertaining little walk through the scene. It's great. Um, I can't recommend it highly enough. It's actually just a good read. More traditionally, my sort of thing is Tilly Walden's astonishing on a sunbeam. Now... I feel completely comfortable plugging this. It is available in print uh, as a beautiful, just a gorgeous hard-covered um, book. It's, it's a couple of hundred pages long. It's gorgeous to look at. And the, 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 the hard copy, the printed version, is a beautiful thing. But you can also read it for free on the internet. Um, it's... I. I if I can find the link, I will put it in the show notes. Uh, otherwise, Google is your friend. It might take a little bit of time to find it, but it's there. Um, and it's it's an epic space opera about a girl who travels to the literal ends of the universe to find her long lost love. Um deep in space, there's a crew rebuilding a broken broken down structures put put in the past together and as Mia the newest member of the crew kind of finds her feet and gets to know the people she's working with we get flashbacks to her her time of boarding school where she fell in love with one of the students and as she grows increasingly comfortable around her new friends at work she reveals that the whole point of joining the ship was that she was going to try and track this girl down. It's a, it's just brilliant world building. It's a really complex, carefully crafted, put together story. Um, and the love story in it 
is just sublime. It's honestly, I'm a flint hearted old guy, but it's a beautiful love story, uh, which I, it, if it can move me, it can move mountains. I tell you, brilliant, brilliant piece of writing. Um, a complete contrast to that, uh, but one which I absolutely adore um, is Kim and King. Um, from the writer Magdalene Visaggio, who is herself trans. Um, Kim and Kim, the fighting Kims, are in the future and making a name for themselves as sort of bounty hunter-y type characters. Uh, it's so over the top. It's got so much energy. It's so vibrant. Um, our two Kims are just stunning characters. They're so entertaining. Um, their sexuality, um, Kim is gay and the other Kim is trans, is part of the narrative, but it's not the point of the narrative. Trans Kim has issues with her father who refuses to accept that she's a girl and, you know, continues to dead name her and, and that kind of thing. And we, you know, that kind of thing is explored, but only in the context of Kim having to deal with her dad. You know, it's not, you know, the issue this week is dead naming. It's, it's not done like that. And it, because it's so much fun, you don't feel like being preached at. Um, Magdalene Visaggio is, I think, one of the most talented writers working in comics today. She has really built a career by not compromising. Uh, she, uh, and actually, while I'm talking about Kim and Kim, I will also, if you can find a copy, because I've been trying and I can't, uh, Mags did a brilliant one shot featuring the Marvel Comics character, Dazzler, who's always been seen as a little bit lame. She's uh, Dazzler has light powers, and in the 70s, she was basically disco. And, you know, that didn't age well. But she uses the story and a conflict between the mutants and the inhumans in, that's in the Marvel Universe. I, this is... A deep geek dive now. Basically, the mutants are like the X-Men, who you, whether you're into comics or not, you will have heard of. The Inhumans are not mutants. They have superpowers from a, a slight, a, a, a genetic thing that they have going on. Um, and the mutants kind of regard the Inhumans as kind of not, like, mutant light. Like, not properly human, not properly mutant, somewhere in between. And... Visaggio uses the mutant in human conflict as a metaphor or a proxy for issues between trans people and cisgendered gay people. And it's really cleverly done. It really makes you think. And again, just a fun story because I don't think Visaggio is capable of doing anything boring. Really, is that simple. Uh, so that's Kim and Kim. 
Then finally, because I'm going to limit myself to three here, I think, I have to mention Laura Dean keeps breaking up with me. Um, and that's Laura Dean, not Laura Dern, which is what I, I called it. Laura Dern keeps breaking up with me for months after it came out. Um, this is from the writer uh, Mariko Tamaki, uh, and it's very funny, but very moving. Uh, it's a story of heartbreak and friendship and growing up. Uh, and basically, Laura Dean was the most popular girl in the high school. We all know the type. Incredibly charming, attractive, confident. The issue is that Laura Dean is all of those things, but she's maybe not ideal girlfriend material. Our protagonist is a girl called Freddie, Frederica Riley. Um, And Laura Dean is Freddie's ideal girl. Nevertheless, when Freddie is introduced to the Seeker, uh, a mysterious mystic who gives advice, her advice is break up with her. But Laura Dean never really goes away. And It's kind of an on-again, off-again thing, and the relationship spirals out of control. And Freddie starts to wonder, is it Laura Dean that's the problem? Or is Freddie, who is not just having this tumultuous relationship with Laura Dean, but is also beginning to lose her other friends, including her best friend Doodle, maybe it's Freddie who's the problem. And as the story continues, Freddy makes new friends and gets the in, gets some insight and navigates her way through being a teenager in love. Now, this is clear. I'm 50. This is clearly not a book that was aimed at me, but I really loved it. It's gentle and funny. And you know what? It's written for teenagers, but if you've ever been a teenager, you are going to recognise yourself in some of this. Because the thing about teenage angst is we've all been there. And I don't know, I find it quite a nostalgic trip, to be honest. So, yeah, really recommend that as well. All are available from Destination Venus and indeed all good comic stores and actually some probably some good bookstores, too. Please, and I know I say this every week, I'm going to keep saying it every week, because if the boss of the company can can afford a space programme, somebody's making too much money, please try not to order books like this from Amazon. Okay, I'm not saying come and buy them off me, I'd love it if you did, but imagined things can probably help you, Uh, Waterstones can probably help you, Um, OK Comics in Leeds can help you. If you are listening outside of Harrogate, you will have a local comic store. And if you don't, you will be able to find a good independent comic store online that can sort you out every bit as efficiently as Amazon can. And um, your hard-earned money that you're paying for your books 
will go to a local independent business and not some corporate monster. So, okay, turns out this was the boring preachy part this week. But seriously, please shop local, please shop indie. Uh, and we'll leave our Comics for Pride Month there and move on to comics out this week. And we'll start with something as mainstream as it gets. Uh, it's actually out last week, but it's still in stock, so hey. Um, Web of Spider-Man issue one. Now, if you are a Marvel fan of long standing, you will recognise the title. Web of Spider-Man back in the 80s and early 90s was one of the regular Spider-Man books. Uh, there were, at the, in the late 80s, when I started reading comics, there were three regular Spider-Man books. There was the original and arguably always the best, Amazing Spider-Man. Then there was Sensational Spider-Man. And then there was Web of Spider-Man, which I always kind of regarded as the weaker of the three, if I'm honest. Uh, Web went down, along with Sensational, in the early 90s as a result of Marvel being a bit rubbish back then. Um, I won't go into details now. We might talk about the, the mess that the 90s was in comics in an, another show at some point. Um, but as Marvel tends to do, it will keep reviving titles that have this nostalgic frisson to them. Uh, there was a short run of Sensational Spider-Man a little while ago, and now it's Webb's turn. And they've done something clever here. First of all, they haven't explicitly made Web of Spider-Man part of the movie continuity. But the suit that Spider-Man is wearing in this story is very like Tom Holland's suit. And he is in this story, very much a protégé of Tony Stark. So, you know, it's, if you are familiar with Spider-Man through the recent movies, then this is going to not jar with you at all. Uh, and they've done something equally clever with the title, because... As I say, Web of Spider-Man is a classic and, let's be honest, fairly obvious title for a Spider-Man book. Uh, but here it stands for Worldwide Engineering Brigade. WB, see what they did there. Which is something that's been set up by Tony Stark to get talented young people to work together. Uh, and so the Worldwide Engineering Brigade for the purposes of Web of Spider-Man is Peter Parker, a.k.a. Spider-Man, uh, Lunella Lafayette, uh, a.k.a. Moon Girl, um, and then Anome, who is from Wakanda, one of Wakanda's, or the daughter of one of Wakanda's greatest engineers, and Harley Keener, who you may remember from Spider-Man 2. Uh, and... If you don't, he was the tall kid that nobody recognised at Tony Stark's funeral in the movies. As far as I can tell, Tony Stark is not supposed to be dead for the purposes of this comic. But, you know, it's, it's clearly drawing from movie continuity more than it's drawing from comic continuity. Although uh, Anome and Lunella are both 
very firmly comics characters. Uh, so it sets up this little group of um, talented kids. Uh, also brings in Squirrel Girl, uh, who is kind of awesomely great. I do like Squirrel Girl. She's just a, a, a ridiculous but great character. Uh, and then, having set that, all of that up, obviously things start to go wrong, and they have to work together as a team. And it's just a good, fun read, to be honest. And that's something that's all too rare in comics, uh, even, even at Marvel, which used to be the fun one. So, I remember it's suitable for all ages. Not specifically a kid's book. I mean, it, it certainly does not have the darker themes that we've come to expect from Amazing Spider-Man, for instance. Uh, I'd be perfectly confident giving this to a child of any age, depending on how old the kid is, they're going to get different things out of it. And as I say, as a, a grumpy 50-year-old, I also thoroughly enjoyed this book. So, you know, there's that. Okay, next we have a comic that has actually been around for a while. Issue 4 came out last week, uh, and it's only a five-issue series, so you are a bit late for jumping on board, and issue 1 is going to be hard to find. But because it's nearly finished, it will be coming out soon as a collected edition, and so I'm going to mention it anyway because I'm really enjoying it. It's called Carmen. And Carmen is kind of a guardian angel figure. And at the start of issue 1, she comes to the immortal spirit, immortal soul possibly, um, of a young woman who has taken her own life. And it's Carmen's job to usher our heroine into the afterlife. And most of the beings with Carmen's job are pretty quick and cos uh, uh, clinical about it. You know, they want throughput because their bonus depends on it. Carmen takes more of an interest. And so we follow the ghost spirit type thing of our central character. Through her journey as a spirit, unable to interact with the world, but perfectly able to experience it. As she explores the effect that her action in taking her own life might have on people that she knows and that the relationship that she thought was a mess might in fact have been developing in exactly the way she wanted it to and the boy she thought didn't care about her maybe she was misreading that a little bit. And I don't want to say any more because of spoilers, but it's a really thought-provoking, kind of innovative approach. I don't think it would have worked in any other medium. Uh, you might have been able to film it. I don't think it would have worked in prose. You would have needed far too much description, uh, which would have got away in the immediacy of the emotion that we're dealing with here. It's really genuinely very close to perfect and i don't say that lightly i really don't beautiful characterization the art is stunning 
the character design of Carmen's people is again interesting. Carmen is essentially a black silhouette, except you except for her head, which is normal, and you can see her bones, her skeleton in the silhouette. Uh, other of her kind. Uh, I'm hesitating to call them angels because I don't think they are. I don't think that's a good description of them. But others of her kind who do the same job. We meet one who, like Carmen, has a normal head and then her body is a black silhouette. Except instead of being able to see her bones, you can see her nervous system. And then there's a supervisor character, and a, a, a grumpy, malicious old lady, uh, who again, normal head, body black silhouette, but in her case, you can see her digestive system. And I'm thinking that there's probably some storytelling going into that character design, which might become clearer in the last issue. And uh, yeah, comics like this are all too rare. I can't compare it to anything else because I've never read anything like it. It does have, I suppose, in the um, spiritual being showing a, a potential or actual suicide the consequences of that action it does have some similarities to it's a wonderful life but only in the most tenuous way um this story could not be more different than it's a wonderful life uh, i'm now on tenterfoots for issue five because i don't see how they're going to give us a happy ending and i really hope they don't because i don't know i don't think it would work but um, the creators here are much more talented storytellers than I'll ever be. So I'm just going to roll with it and see where it goes. Another one that came out last week while I was away uh, is a kind of detective story. The Six Sidekicks of Trigger Keaton. Trigger Keaton is a fictional action star. And all round not nice person. He treats his co-stars badly. He treats the stuntmen worse. He is horrible. And pretty much everybody hates him. And then Trigger Keaton takes his own life. Or does he? One of the many sidekicks that Trigger Keaton has had throughout his career thinks otherwise and sets out to find out. Who murdered Trigger Keaton? This is glorious. It's quite cartoony in style, uh, art by uh, Chris Schweizer, uh, written by Carl Stark, who builds a very believable world for actors and stuntmen who have huge amounts of ego and the worst cases of testosterone poisoning you're ever going to see. It's kind of how I imagine action movie sets are. It's probably not how they are, but it's how I imagine them. And there's a nice acknowledgement of its own silliness in the writing. It's not camp, but it doesn't take itself too seriously. And you'll recognise Trigger Keaton. He's, there's a little bit of, well, there's actually quite a lot of Chuck Norris in there. Uh, a little bit of Steven Seagal. Um, he's he's that kind of guy. Um, and you'll recognise the sidekicks. Uh, there's the 
child star who couldn't hack it and went on to a different career. There's the actor who couldn't quite make it as an actor and became a stuntman instead. There's the kung fu woman who was brought in as a love interest. There's the former NFL star turned actor. Um, and there's the sort of young, good-looking guy brought in because the, the the main lead is now too old to be the romantic interest. And it's it's got you you'll pick up some reference. I certainly, if you were watching action TV shows in the eighties and nineties, you will pick up the references to things like Knight Rider and um, Walker Texas Ranger and 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 you know. 80s and 90s films like Hard to Kill and Hard Target. It's a good, fun read. And I don't know, I, I seem to be gravitating towards the slightly less serious stuff as I get older. Um, maybe I'm just figuring out that life's too short to be grimdark all the time. Who can say? So, Carmen... And the six sidekicks of Trigger Keaton are both from Image and out now. No, I think I'll make my third selection something just a little bit more mainstream, a little bit more big too. So, moving on to Supergirl, or specifically Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow. Uh, this is a new limited series um, from the writer Tom King, who is probably best known these days for his work on Batman. He's certainly responsible for my favourite ever standalone Batman story, uh, something called um, Last Nights, Last Rights, Date Nights, or Date Nights and Last Rights, uh, from the second, I think, of the current run of the Batman Annual, which sort of reset Superman and uh, Superman, Batman and Catwoman's relationship. Um, telling it from their very first meeting to their very last throughout the whole of their lives. It's a beautiful piece of work. Um, here he's taking Kara Zor-El, the Supergirl, uh, in something of a new direction. Kara has had many epic adventures over the years, but she's finding herself now to be a little bit adrift, a little bit without purpose. She was sent from Krypton as Krypton was being destroyed to protect a baby cousin. But because of, you know, timey-wimey stuff, by the time she arrived, Clark, or Kal-El, her cousin, was an adult. He'd become Superman already. She was still a teenager. So, clearly, Superman doesn't need her help. Um... What's it all for? You know, she's lost her planet. She's lost her people. And wherever she goes, she's only seen in the light of her relationship to Superman, which I think is a brilliant narrative take because, of course, yeah, that's how the character is absolutely seen. So she's kind of had enough. She wants to be her own person. And then she meets a girl, an alien girl, 
um, who is in a similar situation in that her world has also been destroyed. Unlike Kara, however, the bad guys who destroyed this girl's world are still out there and she wants revenge. And she wants Supergirl to help her and if Supergirl won't, she'll do it anyway, whatever the cross. So what we have is an epic space journey, um, a cosmic road trip, if you will, featuring a Kryptonian, Kara Jor-El, a dog, gotta be crypto, right? Um, and an angry, grieving child setting out on what is in effect a quest adventure. And it's just, I mean, you would expect brilliance from Tom King. I, I genuinely don't think he's capable of writing a bad book. He pretty much reinvented Batman uh, through the rebirth story arc. Um, and he does this kind of thing incredibly well. And of course, once you get into space in the DC universe, there are no limits to the fantasy elements you can bring in. And he does that. Um, also, truly lovely part um, from Bilquis Evely, whose work I'm sure I've got. I don't recall the name, but I'm sure I've seen the work before. I don't know if you can hear me. This is hopefully good audio. I'm riffling through the the comic now to try and find more examples to just to see if I can jog my memory. I definitely recognise this style. And the line that's the line work is Beliquis Ovely. Um the colours are from Matthias Lopes and Lopes? Lopez? Lopez, I'm gonna go with. And the the palette that's been selected is just gorgeously muted and subtle, but also really warm. And I think that's important because it, it reflects an aspect of Kara's character. She's an incredibly warm person. And I, I just, it's a great, a great piece of work, which treats Supergirl as a good character in her own right. And I, I'm absolutely loving it. So it's unusual for me to recommend super books. Not a big fan of Superman particularly, not a big fan of Supergirl for all sorts of reasons, but this is truly brilliant. Absolutely loving it. Cannot recommend it highly enough. So that's Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow uh, from DC Comics. And that brings us pretty much to the end of this week's business. Uh, before I go, just a couple of very quick things. First of all, I mentioned a while ago that uh, as part of Thought Bubble, which is coming in November, um, I'm trying to put together an art trail around Harrogate. Uh, if you are part of a business, you're an employee or a business owner of an independent business in Harrogate or Nesborough, and you would like to display some art by local and other comics artists. I, I'm hoping to have some international stuff as well. Um, 
say if you're at, I don't know, a coffee shop, um, uh, something, a, a restaurant, uh, a cafe, a sandwich shop, something like that, um, and you've got a bit of wall space and you'd like to have the opportunity to have a bunch of comics geeks who will, will be visiting the town, come and visit your shop and hopefully buy stuff whilst looking at art, let me know. Info at destinationvenus.co.uk. Um, I want to try and make this a really big thing for Harrogate. I want to get people out of the convention centre and around the town because I want to show off my town and I want people to see the brilliance of Harrogate. So you want to be part of that? Let me know. Info at destinationvenus.co.uk. Also, as we come out of lockdown and we argue about whether we should or should not still be wearing masks and we all get very annoyed about not being able to stand at the bar in the pub, I want to focus on something positive. So, again, hit me up, info at destinationvenus.co.uk, with the geeky things you're looking forward to as we cautiously enter a post-pandemic world. Yeah, what are the things that you've really missed? And what were the good things for you that came out of lockdown? I've not enjoyed the last six months, particularly. I found lockdown quite hard this time around, but it had its upsides. And I'd like to focus on those. I'd like our stories and our memories of this time to be of the good stuff. Because, you know, the bad stuff's obvious. So let's focus on the good. So... Stuff that came out of lockdown that's improved your geeky life. And now that we're out of it, stuff that you're really looking forward to getting back to. Info at destinationvenus.co.uk. Particularly if you'd be willing to come on the show and talk about it with me. Um, appropriately socially distanced, probably over Zoom, if we're honest. So, again, that email address one more time. Info at destinationvenus.co.uk. Uh, if you go to destinationvenus.co.uk, you can also find the show notes for this very show that you are listening to right now. And I'd encourage you to do so. There are some links in there that will uh, take you to some of the science stuff in particular. Uh, so, um, yeah, do that. OK, thank you very, very much for your kind attention. We will be back next week, hopefully with an interview uh, for you. I'm, I don't have it recorded yet. And the recording, the recording is scheduled, but it might be a little bit fluid. It may slip. So, again, fingers very firmly crossed, because I'm sure you'd like to hear somebody else's voice other than mine. But, you know, we do have some other stuff planned for next week as well. So even if the interview doesn't come off, hopefully there will be some uh, more geeky goodness for you. And so I guess all that is left for me to say is be kind to yourself. Be kind to everybody else. Above all else, stay safe and stay geeky until we meet here once again to go geeking. Take care of yourselves, you magnificent geeks. We will see you very, very soon. Goodbye now.